the end of Deuteronomy chapter 16. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then from 19 verse 1. When the Lord your God has destroyed the nations whose land he is giving you, and when you have driven them out and settled in the towns and houses, then set aside for yourself three cities in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Determine the distances involved and divide into three parts the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. This is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbour unintentionally, without malice or forethought. For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbour to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbour and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue him in rage, overtake him if the distance is too great, and kill him, even though he is not deserving of death, since he did it to his neighbour without malice or forethought. This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he promised on oath to your ancestors, and gives you the whole land he promised to them, because you carefully follow all these laws I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and to walk always in obedience to him, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. But it, if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbour, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back from the city, and be handed over to the avenger of blood to die. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Uh, if you'd like to turn over to page 169, uh, the next reading continues from Deuteronomy chapter 24 beginning at verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbour to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbour is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbour may sleep in it. Then they will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, 
because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Keith. Choose justice. That's our theme for today. Choose justice. Uh, Justice is such an important word. It's that idea of fairness in the way that all people should be treated. It's that lightness where wrong is always punished and the innocent are always protected. And I hope you long for justice. I hope all of us long for justice. Christians should should be crying out for justice in this world. Uh, We should long for justice for the poor. Why is it that the the rich should get richer and the poor should get poorer? That, That is not fair. Can you imagine a world where there's no homelessness and there's no begging and there's no need for welfare systems? A world where we do break that, that, generation, that generational cycle of poverty. We should long for justice for the marginalised. Imagine a world where the widows, the orphans, the refugees, the asylum seekers are all treated with dignity. It doesn't matter what race they are or age they are or, or ability or disability. Cry out for justice for for women in the world where there's no misogyny, there's no sexualization of women, where there's no abuse of any kind, physical, emotional, financial or spiritual. Uh, Imagine a world without human trafficking where there's no forced labor, no sex slaves. Imagine a world where our justice system is always right. No bribery, no corruption, no favoritism. That, that's the kind of world that we should long for. See, our hearts as human beings were created for justice. I hope you know that. That as human beings we are created in the image of God. That means we have a conscience. It means that we think like God thinks. 
And our God is a God of justice. God's heart breaks for injustice. His heart breaks for oppression. And so should ours. A.W. Tozer says, Justice is not something that God has. Justice is something that God is. At his very being, his very essence, he is just. Uh, This is the God of the ages we're looking at. This This is how God defines himself in Deuteronomy, not by his power, not by his position, but that idea of justice. On the screen is Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 to 19. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners. That's the challenge. Uh, Will we be like our God, a God who loves and cares and provides? Uh, When this God stepped into the world 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus, Jesus was justice personified. I hope you realize that. He didn't just preach. He cared. He cared for the fatherless and the widow. He cared for the poor and the destitute. He relieved suffering. He welcomed the sick and the lame and the prostitute. And he was rightly furious when he saw all these religious people who were more concerned about their religious ceremonies than they were about caring for the poor and needy. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart of our God. Now, do you remember the the two commandments that Jesus gave you and I? The two greatest commandments, to to love God and to love your neighbor. And right after he said that, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. A, a, A man is in need, and you cannot claim to love God if you see a need and pass on by the other side. That is not just unloving, that is actually unjust. So God expects, no, God commands his people to reflect his heart and to pursue justice. Deuteronomy 10 verse 19, you too are to love the foreigner. You too are to be concerned for justice. It's all through the Old Testament. Isaiah 1, learn to do right and to seek justice. Amos 5, God threatens judgment on those who oppress the innocent and deprive the poor of justice. Uh, We named our fourth child Micah, mainly after this one verse, Micah 6 verse 8. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Because it's not just stuffing your head with information about your God. It's allowing what you know about God to change the way that you treat people. So in Deuteronomy, a long section from chapters 16 to 26 And these chapters are all about justice. God's people are on the edge of this promised land. It's a beautiful land. It's a bountiful land. It's abundant in water. And they're going to be prosperous. But God says when you enter this land, don't forget to pursue justice. God's ideal for this land is a land where there is no poverty and there's no oppression, and there's no slave labor, a land where the orphans and widows are protected, where women are not forced into prostitution, a land where the legal system is not corrupt, and where other people look at God's people and the way they treat people and say, wow, your God must be amazing. Do you ever think about that? 
The way that you treat the poor and the needy, the watching world should say, wow, I want to know their God because their God seems to be kind, loving, and just. So two big categories this morning. Here's the first one. God's heart for criminal justice. God's heart for criminal justice. God has always been concerned that the the guilty are punished, but the innocent are protected. Now for that, you need impartial judges. That is chapter 16, verses 18 to 20. So open your Bibles. Have you ever seen that picture, the, the statue rather, of Lady Justice? It's on all these courthouses across the world. It's this bronze statue of this woman, and she's wearing a blindfold, and she's got these scales in her hand. And it's this picture that there should be no prejudice, no favoritism, and you weigh each matter fairly, regardless of race, status, or who these people are. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. Appoint judges. And officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God has given you. And they shall judge the people, here's the word, fairly, rightly, honestly, uprightly. Now in these ancient courts there were no lawyers to defend you. There was no jury. It was just a judge and the person. And so make sure that you appoint a person as judge who's going to listen to this case and will not be swayed based on looks or wealth or position or power. Verse 19, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe. Don't accept money. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. I hope you know that. Many leaders fall into that trap. When some wealthy donor offers you this, this great financial gift, a massive package, and you, you are swayed in your decision-making based on keeping them happy. And Moses is saying to God's people, as you enter the land, that, that be, be aware that your courts could become corrupt with dodgy judges, blinded by a bribe. Does that ring true of our courts today? There is sadly still corruption in many courts around the world today. And many innocent people suffer because of corruption. Now follow justice. You need impartial judges. You need honest witnesses. Chapter 19, verse 15. 19, verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offence they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He's saying, just beware because of sin, you get some people who are bent on revenge and they might concoct a story, there might be deception, there might be lies. If there's only one witness, that person could easily be twisting the truth to hold a grudge against someone seeking revenge. No, you need two witnesses or three witnesses to make sure this is true. Someone can lie even under oath, and we call that perjury. Still happens today. And so God says, purge this evil. Get rid of perjury. Speak out against miscarriages of justice. There are still way too many innocent people in jail across the world. I watched the Netflix documentary about the so-called Central Park Five. And that was horrific. So honest witnesses... 
Protect the innocent and punish the guilty. Uh, Chapter 19 is a beautiful chapter. It's about these cities of refuge, these safe places that people can run to. If they have done something wrong, but it was unintentional, that crazy story, 19 verse 5, of a a man who goes out into a field with an axe. And as he's chopping wood, he accidentally kills somebody. The, The head of the axe flies off and he kills somebody. It was not intentional. There was no malice there. No hatred, no premeditation. We'd call that involuntary manslaughter. And God establishes these these safe places. 19 verse 5, flee to one of the cities and save your life, he says. So that verse 6 of chapter 19, the avenger of blood, a relative who is angry. Even though it's an accident, someone is bent on revenge and they want to, to kill that person. He says, run to a safe place. Let me provide a safe place for you to take refuge in. And today we call that asylum, don't we? Giving refuge and protection to people who are in danger. Protecting people who live in constant fear for their lives. And I do believe that Christians need to have a a voice for asylum seekers in the world today. And speak out against these so-called avengers of blood today. It still happens today. You may have heard of the honour killings of fathers killing their daughters and brothers killing their sisters in so-called name of justice. He says, protect, but, but punish wrongdoing. You, you can't let wrongdoing go unpunished. No, verse 11, if, if out of hate someone lies in wait and assaults and kills a neighbor, the killer should be sent to their towns and handed over to the event of blood to die. So in, in this world, you either had capital punishment or corporal punishment. There were no jails, there were no prisoners. You didn't lock people away. And what he's saying here is that if someone has done something wrong, there must be a punishment to fit the crime. Let me ask you, do you ever pray for our judicial system today? Do you ever pray for the people in, in here today who are lawyers, who are barristers, who are judges that God would equip them to judge fairly and not be swayed. They, they do such an amazing job, but they need our prayers. This is God's heart for criminal justice. But as soon as you realize this, that the innocent need to be protected and the guilty need to be punished, I hope you're thinking about yourself here. Because when you stand before the righteous judge on that last day, when you stand before God himself on that last day, Our God judges fairly. And none of us here are innocent in his sight. And so please don't approach God on that last day asking for justice for the way that you've lived your life on earth. You're asking for mercy, aren't you? Remember the story of the mother who went to Napoleon to seek a pardon for her son? And Napoleon said it was his second offence and justice demanded his death. And the mother said, I don't ask for justice, I just plead for mercy. And the emperor said, he doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. So when you stand before God on that last day, don't ask for justice, ask for mercy. And this is the irony of Deuteronomy, is that the one innocent man the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he did 
stand before a court of judges, but it was trumped up charges. There was no impartial judge. There was full of malicious witnesses who were out to avenge, out to get him, and they crucified him. He received both capital punishment and corporal punishment on your behalf. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to understand the, the heart of God, look at the person of Jesus. He was punished so that you could walk free. So our God's got a heart for justice, a criminal justice. And God has a heart for social justice. Our heart beats for the heart of our God who loves orphans, who loves widows, who loves the oppressed. They are not nobodies. They are somebodies. They're a human being made in the image of God. So many places I could go with this, but let's, get, let's turn to chapter 24. We should be asking for protection for women. In, in the days of Deuteronomy, women were, were sadly regarded with as little more than just people's property. In the, the days of Deuteronomy, husbands were were divorcing their wives for all kinds of reasons. They no longer found them attractive. Their wife had gained some weight. The wife had burned the dinner. And so they just divorced them. And in those days, if you were a divorced woman, then you were just cast aside and you were subject to a life of poverty. And so God established this law in Deuteronomy 24. It's a beautiful law. Don't ignore it. 24 verse 1, if a, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce. That's the important bit. She needs a certificate of divorce to show that she is free and so she can be treated well. So God establishes a system where he cares and protects for the women and the role of the husband is to care for his wife. Uh, these chapters 20 to 24 are packed with pictures of, of women who are victims of, of abuse and rape and forced into prostitution and it's never okay and our God cares. There's too much to cover this morning so tomorrow night here in church 7.45 we're running in the evening looking at chapters 21 and 20 those tricky chapters on, on rape, prostitution, domestic violence. Come along tomorrow night. God cares for women, and I pray we would, we would do too. Protection for slaves. Look at chapter 24, verse 7. Uh, if someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. Well, that doesn't apply to us today, does it? There is, there is no slavery today, is there? Of course there is. The last estimate is between 20 and 40 million people live as slaves today. 20 to 40 million people around the world live in slavery. And 71% of our women and girls who are forced into prostitution, sex slavery, forced labour, forced marriages and forced to have their organs removed. It's $150 billion per year industry. It's called human trafficking. And people are being lured into this by these online social media platforms, evil people preying on the vulnerable and the needy, and the stats are horrifying. Let me tell you Bella's story. Bella grew up in Indonesia, in the region where we support our compassion kids. 
a dysfunctional home, age 13, she was lured by a man offering her employment as a waitress in a restaurant. She went to her first evening of work. He locked the door behind her and he enslaved her for three months. He abused her. He messed with her mind. He then sent her out on the street to make an income as her pimp. And to quote Bella, they turned women into animals. They claimed that we owed debts that we could not repay. We were helpless. We could not leave the place at all because we were stuck in this cycle of debt. That's just one of thousands of stories. And our church should be moved by those stories. Compassion, anger, protection and punishment. It's all just. I want to flag an organization that I love. It's called IJM, the International Justice Mission. I think half, our, half the staff come to this church now. <laughs> but they're doing great work fighting against the injustices of sex trafficking, online sexual exploitation, police brutality and violence against women and kids. Support them, pray for them, speak out against it. So protection for women, protection for slaves, protection for the poor. And I know that I'm speaking to a church where most of us live in prosperity. But poverty is a reality. And when God's people entered the land, God commanded for a heart of generosity. If they saw a need, they were expected to meet that need. Not somebody else to meet it, but they were to meet it. Now, borrowing money was always a reality. And so in this time of Deuteronomy, to borrow money, you needed money just to survive, to get bread on your plate. And God says to his people, do not charge massively high interests. Otherwise, people are in bondage to that. And when you take collateral, think about the well-being of the borrower. So chapter 24, verse 6 If you've lent something, don't take a pair of millstones as security for a debt because that is someone's livelihood. You are stopping that person from making an income if you take their millstones. Down to verse 10, when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, don't go to their house to get what is offered you as a pledge. I love that. He's saying, along with debt comes shame. So please don't cause greater shame by walking to the house of the person you're about to get your pledge. Verse 12, if the neighbor is poor, don't go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so your neighbor may sleep in it. The poorest of poor would put down their coat as collateral for the debt. And what God is saying here is don't rub their face in their poverty by insisting they are freezing to death at night time. Give them their cloak back. That's the just thing to do. Verse 14, pay their wages. Don't take advantage of a hard worker who's poor and needy. Verse 15, pay them their wages each day before sunset. They're depending on that. Again, I I do believe the, the minimum wage is always a good thing. And sadly, too many countries are scrapping minimum wages There are corrupt people, corrupt bosses who pay poor workers ridiculously low wages. 
or don't pay work wages on time, and these people are desperate, living day to day, mouth to mouth. And there's gleaning, chapter 24, verse 19. When you're harvesting your field, you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to it, leave it for the foreigner, the fathers, and the widow. He's saying, as you go through your field, make sure that you leave bits on the edges or in the field for those who have nothing to come and to gather so they can be fed. This is not charity. This is obligation. It's the duty of the prosperous to make sure they're looking out for the poor. I know we have a welfare system, a good welfare system, but that doesn't excuse us as Christians of seeing a need and meeting a need. I, I was struck this week between the, the difference between uh, charity and justice. I think charity is the easy option, isn't it? It's easy to write a cheque. Easy to go to a nice dinner to watch some videos and feel good and give some money. But justice is when you get your hands dirty and you actually act on what you see. What can you do to reduce poverty? What can you do to eliminate human trafficking? What can you do? Please don't stand back and do nothing. There's a guy at our 5 p.m. congregation who sells the big issue outside Milson's Point Station five, six, seven days a week. If everybody here just bought one, bought two, bought three, that's just a small way you can make a difference. And why is it we as a rich church... We are a stinking rich church. And we think nothing of spending thousands of dollars on an upgrade or whatever it is. And there are churches in Sydney and churches around Australia who are desperate for something. There's a disparity there. And my kids are very astute to injustice. (laughs) You know, you buy one one of them a chocolate and the other one doesn't get one. They say, that's not fair! And it's not fair. One of the reasons that we as a family have chosen to support four compassion children, one for each of our biological children, because we want our kids to grow up knowing there are other kids in the world who do not have the same kind of lifestyle that they have. We want our kids to have a heart of compassion. So we can all make a difference. Please, 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 when you see a need, when you see a brother or sister in need, Do not pray, Lord, send somebody else. Say, Lord, send me. What can I do? If we claim to love Jesus, we must have a heart for justice. That's God's heart. Always has been, always will be. And he uses you and I as his hands and feet to bring justice into this crazy, messed up world. Let me pray. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear the cries of the oppressed and the poor, feet to walk into those places that maybe we're scared to walk into. Give us hands to distribute out of the the much that we have. But most of all, Lord, give us a heart a heart that is broken for the injustice and oppression in this world. We are set for Jesus' sake.